Welcome to Telegeography Explains the Internet, the show that explores the business behind all of the ways humans stay connected around the world. I'm your host, Greg Bryan, and my guest today is Mark Daly. He's Director of Digital Strategy and Business Development at Epsilon. Mark, as you will hear, is a veteran of the telecom industry and has been at Epsilon for nearly a decade, where he has been directly involved with SDN and their network as a service offering. Our main topic of conversation today was around NAS and how it's unfolding in the marketplace. Of course, as I often do, I started by getting Mark's definition of NAS and where he sees its availability emerging in the current telecom services landscape. Mark has what I thought was a really useful list of NAS characteristics, which we spend some time talking about. That is that it is visible, configurable, priceable, orderable, deployable, and manageable. It's really useful to hear him flesh out what each of those means for customers. Mark also had some useful insights into how NAS has evolved over time and which steps vendors took that did and did not work out so well. And finally, we talk about Epsilon's history and how its mission became integrated into an incumbent provider after their acquisition by Korea Telecom. So this episode brought a lot of clarity for me on what to expect in the NAS market in the coming years, and I hope it will for you as well. Enjoy. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thanks, Greg. Uh, really, I am excited to to join and to be here and to catch up with you again. So yeah, yeah likewise. Look to having a really good chat. And and you know, you, you were just telling me before the show that you used to do your own podcast. You're an old pro mm-hmm. with this, so I think I'm, I'm looking forward to our conversation. So <laughs> hopefully, no you know distractions. Uh, you're you're in your boardroom there. It looks nice and quiet. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for the moment at least, until uh, you know some normal hiccup uh, that a carrier traditionally experiences occurs. But of course, good for now. Of course. My, my biggest one is our office is sometimes on the path uh, to the White House, so if someone important is moving back and forth, um, uh, the sirens uh, will, will overwhelm me. So I'll, I'll stop us if that happens. <laughs> yeah, interestingly yeah. enough, uh, we are located uh, where where my uh, let's call it European, but Essentially, the the business headquarters is here in London, where I'm based, and I'm in it right now. It's located right next to one of the uh, oldest military divisions in the world, the uh, traditional uh, Royal Horse Artillery, I think they're Uh, called. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's an army base right next to us, right in the city of London. Right. And uh, uh, quite often we get like a whole bunch of Chinooks and stuff Mm -hmm. flying over. So you hear the whole building. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, Mark, you know, we, we almost always start the show just with with an introduction of yourself. I figure I, I, it's always better for you to tell your story than me to uh, read some, uh, you know, bio. So please, yeah, tell us who you are and, and, and what you've been up to. Yeah, sure. So uh, my name is Mark Daly. So I work for a company called Epsilon, Epsilon Telecommunications. Uh, essentially, apart from what my job title says, I look after product as well as really looking for new things, new technologies, mm-hmm. new partners, uh, new vendors as well. Um, so it's a really interesting role. I've been really lucky to have that role now for nine years. I actually started at Epsilon as director of corporate strategy. Mm. We used to have a lot more businesses in the group. 
Um, but sort of one by one, we've either flipped them out, spun them out, or uh, or sold them. And uh, ourselves, we've been acquired over the last two years by a company called KT, Korea Telecom. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, before that, I'm not sure a lot of people can tell with my accent. It's a bit mixed up now. But You're not from London, are you? <laughs> I'm not from London. No, I'm a yeah. long way from London. No, I'm from a place called Melbourne, not Melbourne, Florida, but Melbourne, Australia. And uh, I started in a company called Telecom Australia at the time and and now, uh, now Telstra. Telstra, yeah. Um, yeah, and I started off in development. Well, really, I found myself in development uh, working uh, building applications for internal use and uh, eventually intelligent network platforms. So I'm actually a platform guy all the way back. Uh, we were developing GUI programmable interfaces on uh, voice-enabled intelligent networks, yeah, in the 90s, mm-hmm. uh, which wow. was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. We created... Uh, uh, really, the, the the first interface that I ever knew about that allowed you to uh, create, say, a call flow for uh, premium rate numbers, uh, 0800 numbers, 1800 over there, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and be able to kind of drop in some kind of voice message. So yeah, really interesting stuff. So that's actually kind of my DNA is uh, really that development side, and then. Uh, moving into product management to product manage those those IN platforms. And eventually I moved here in the 90s with Telstra as we set up and started operating as a telco service provider internationally. And uh, I ended up uh, being with Telstra in London for five years, mm-hmm. uh, heading up as the uh, head of uh, European product and marketing, um, but went native and uh, and decided to stay. So, I, I spent a I spent about eight nine years uh, in the roaming industry as well. Uh, I work. I left to to join Capgemini actually, and then mm-hmm. uh, spent a couple of years at Capgemini, heading up their service lines in the UK, and uh, then jumped ship into the roaming industry, which was an amazing experience. A lot of a lot of cash at right, the time yeah. in mm-hmm. international roaming. Um, and also a lot of M and A. So actually, as a kind of product and marketing guy involved in a lot of M and A, uh, there's a quite a famous company based in Tampa in the US called Cineverse, mm-hmm. one of the enablers of international roaming. Uh, so my company uh, was acquired by them. I left, joined a startup um, that went very well, and then we were acquired by Cineverse. So I couldn't escape, escape Cineverse for a while, but. Uh, one thing I did learn was a lot about um, a really interesting part of the industry that a bit like the internet world, which I'm heavily involved with as well, it's kind of a secret area not a lot of people know about. And uh, yeah, yeah, it was great. And then uh, eventually uh, I was build, back building platforms. Uh, and this is where I got exposed to stuff like WebRTC, uh, and then uh, sort of browser-based telecommunications functions, um, developing platforms for uh, companies like BT, uh, their uh, Meet Me Too platform, et cetera. Um, but then I joined uh, Epsilon nine years ago. So mm-hmm. uh, interesting journey at Epsilon. Uh, we were essentially a startup company 20 years ago. Um, but after 10 years, 
had really evolved to a point where as a real pivot moment, let's call it, uh, they sort of got to a point where there's still not that much automation, spreadsheets, right. price sheets still in Excel um, and doing really well. It's just that things really started to slow down. So they're looking for somebody, I guess, really to, to knock on the door of digital transformation, so yeah. both internally. But then the first thing I did when I came to the organization was look at, okay, this is cool, but uh, don't you guys know about SDN and platforms and how, how are we going to present our services to our customers over the next 10 years? So uh, I, I came in and uh, wrote a strategy, worked very closely with uh, a colleague of mine uh, called Vibika, Vibika Harder, who heads up our global engineering and, and development. So uh, basically the two of us sat down and wrote a strategy that said, mm-hmm. okay, we need to think about how we're going to present our services in essentially match the characteristics of the cloud. So that's what we've done over the last 10 years. And Yeah, um, which, is, which is exactly why I wanted to have you on the show. And I, and I like the way that yeah. you phrased that, that like um, have, have your services as a telco essentially, right? not not in a traditional telco, obviously, to later, which we'll yep. get to, right? But, but yeah. um, you know, what, what, what I wanted to talk about was kind of the, the evolution into what we're calling NAS now, Network as a Service, right? Um, and, and Epsilon has been at the forefront of that, I think from, 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 uh, my, my position, um, probably before a lot of people were using that word <laughs> there were these concepts around. So that's, that's what I want to focus in on first is we've, we've talked quite a few times on this show about NAS and everyone sort of comes at that from a slightly different perspective. What, what is Mark's definition of NAS? Um, as, as it would be consumed by, say, an, an enterprise uh, IT infrastructure team. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so for me, it's basically think of any network element that you would use in the enablement of your business, mm-hmm. presenting all of those elements as an indi- individual component or a knitted-together to solution, orchestrating that yourself if you choose to do so. Um, and I have basically a... a a kind of a, a rule of six of the functions that you would expect from a NAS. Mm-hmm. Um, we can talk about that in a second. Um, and then uh, being able to essentially uh, control that as if it was your own network without without the commitment of investing in infrastructure, CapEx, et cetera. But to me, the network of the service as a service is individual items, and that has become verticalized and horizontalized and mm-hmm. what i mean mm-hmm. by that is a true network as a service if you're if you're looking at and i think you've mentioned terms to me you know we've, we've spoken in the past end-to-end or cloud yeah. or whatever but think of the the horizontalization of network as a service is like literally connections and and network from any point to any point so that could include your business address your cloud, your internet, uh, you know, if you're an internet exchange member or if you're just using broadband. Um, so it, it really merges the concept between physicality and functionality and presents that end-to-end or piecemeal. Mm-hmm. And then the verticalization of that is, okay, do I want network transport? Do I net- want network overlay with insight? 
Uh, do I want to uh, strengthen my network services through a security drop-in or something like that? Mm-hmm. So to me, network as a service then wraps that up and presents that in some form of either uh, point-and-click portal or SDK. So that's a very holistic uh viewpoint from my perspective if i'm in the enterprise and the other element the network as a service gives a lot of people don't talk about but if i'm in a large-scale enterprise where i have maybe my own it division or even uh, net ops it divisions and some banks do as an example to me network as a service offers me the opportunity to build my own network as a service platform and i think that's the really exciting bit for the big Mm. guys Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then you think, okay, so if I can do that, um, you know, I was talking to a, a really big, actually, American bank, uh, it was during the pandemic, so a year or two ago, around the exposure of the core network for those guys in particular who actually need to focus on latency, disaster recovery. Right. So what if they could actually be utilizing network as a service collectively with a lot of different suppliers their own console to present that or portal and then start to make decisions based on some kind of logic feed in on route decisions or route decisions where, mm. wherever you come from. The <laughs> yeah, world. But, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was like, okay, uh, actually I, I need to be routing my traffic at the submarine cable level based right. on certain decisions or incidents. So I, I look at, I look at network of services really holistically. And mm-hmm. I know some of me, my colleagues in the industry will think will have a much thinner viewpoint. Yeah, sometimes just just as simple as kind of your, your lead-in, which was consuming network like you consume cloud services. But but you're really yeah, talking exactly. about kind of to, to put it this way, the, the whole OSI stack, right? As well as as um, uh, a degree of control over the network, like with, with routing, you know, that sort of thing. So kind of yeah, the, and but accessing that as if it was a cloud service. Right, 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 right. Consuming it like you consume cloud, but also has to be integrated with that that degree of control um, and uh, policy setting and, and visibility, obviously, in order to do these things, right? So I like yeah, that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah so, and, and it's happened. All of these, everything I spoke about and probably more is is happening around the world right now but in kind of chunks mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and some, some folks like we really focused on connecting the internet, you know, through uh, platforms as an example, because we got, we're a big wholesale company. We start in wholesale. So accessing peering and remote peering through a programmable interface is monetizable for us really quickly. Right. Um, but the other angle is that, uh, so I, in my past, I was very aware of this emerging CPaaS industry um, as it started. In fact, uh, you know, people have probably heard of a fabulous company called Twilio. But there was a company before Twilio called Ribbit that I was very familiar with. Uh, Ribbit was actually acquired by BT, but uh, and then sort of bought into BT, not not let loose on the market. So Twilio came in. Got a fabulous job. So understanding Twilio is like the, these dudes here, like presenting programmable telephony uh, as part of their SDK into the enterprise. 
their success was based on not targeting enterprise companies, targeted individuals and, and job titles, developers, application developers. That's how they really grew and it was fabulous. And it was like, okay, we're a voice company as well. It's like we need to go over to the West Coast, talk to these dudes and say, look, we could present you a programmable interface from the network up. So you can just dive in, grab a telephone number, put it in your SDK from command from the customer um, and just have that whole thing work, you know, in one kind of uh, series of commands. And so that's like, that's network of the service. Mm-hmm. In this case, boys. Right. Um, so you've got these chunks and that starts to build up to me that the network of the service as a service platform is going to be another enablement platform for the almost the agile solution mentality where say, and we got an RFP from a, uh, let's call it a cloud, born in the cloud, um, uh, uh, what do you got? Realtor companies mm-hmm. in the US. Yeah. And, and basically it's a two page RFP that said, we want to set a new office up in Chicago and we need this, 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 and this. And I was like, oh, man, if you could do that on a portal, it, you know, that would be like, yeah, okay, uh, connection to the internet, um, drop in a UCAS stack, um, uh, give them a telephone number. It's all not right now. No one can do this right, right now. Right, 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 right. But this is the vision. Yeah, yeah. Click, click, click. As long as you've got a physical connection to the internet in that building they're moving into, and Wi-Fi obviously set up, your whole business could be deployed in a few minutes. That's what NAS will will enable in the future as well. So when we started at the SDN point, SDN, you know, very, very uh, network orientated at the start. But what NAS has done is really, really enabled us to stretch those boundaries of what it is that we can be presented that relate to network, of course. And I, I think that's why I love the term and concept of NAS because it is so flexible in its use. But I look at it holistically going, man, this just gives folks like us, you, know, you as an analyst and myself as a product guy, the ability to, to really sit there and go, we can do anything with this. Right, um, right. Yeah, so. Yeah, no, that's. I think that's, that's a, a fascinating kind of way of looking at it, but that, that the, you know, the end goal has been something that, that people on both sides, the the vendor side, the enterprise side, whatever have had on their minds for so long, which is why can't I, uh, you know, find, uh, you know, purchase and, and manage my network the way that I do that for software or anything else, like all kinds of consumer things, right? And so, and, and the answer is, um, you know, obviously we're working towards that. There's a lot of complicated steps to get through, particularly as you as you alluded to before on, on the, the end-to-end prospect of that. It's one thing between data centers, right? You know, but I, I wondered, it, it, since, you, since you have so much background on this, can you take us a little bit into kind of that, a little bit more, you touched on this, but that, that evolution of what was, you know, when, when I first heard about SDN, I don't know, probably around 10 years ago, thinking mm-hmm. that it's purely like a carrier technology, wasn't even really something that, that would concern enterprises. And then maybe SD-WAN took some of that capability sort of, uh, but, but now we're looking at like what we were thinking about with, S, with SDN 
10 years ago on the carrier level to a consumable service. Could you take us through that evolution a little bit, maybe? Yeah, yeah. So um, I've been across that for, yeah, a long time, as at least as long as you. And SDN as a definition was really driven at the time by two groups of people, network people, uh, network carrier people, and the opportunity of what could be um, deployed within the data center environment. So you had your data center folks who were setting up things like meet me rooms, et cetera, who were really interested in the term software-defined networking and how they could simplify the logistics within their data center. But then you had the carriers like us who, or, or telcos like us who are sitting there going, how do we present our network to ourselves at the time um, so that we can bring the deployment downtime from 20 minutes, I said 20 minutes, I wish, yeah. 20 days. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Days. You know, right. at, the, at the time, you know, it was, okay, we need to build a core, we need an orchestration layer over the, and above that. And then what we need to do is expose that to our own engineers so that they can orchestrate services really quickly, particularly for either the really large incumbents who were the major sponsors at the time of a lot of the, and put a lot of the investment in terms of the definition of SDN um, and, and those companies that served internationally. So that really started to evolve though and and what we started to see was the vendors getting on board and starting to present APIs out of their um, equipment. And that was the key. Once you got a Juniper or a Nokia, whoever it was, that started to make it easy to access the functionality within the tin, that made it a lot simpler. That's, and that really took some time. Um, and the reality of that was it was really only really only I would say probably nine to 10 years ago when it, the functions really started to be presented up. And uh, we, we experiment at Epsilon, uh, when I joined, we were, we were a BTI house for our next gen our concept of what are we going to do next generation? Because BTI were one of those companies that first said, okay, we need to understand, we need to, ring fence conceptually all of these functions in our box and then present those out as programmable. And so that was really the, the that was that, oh man, this is awesome. Uh, we're gonna need, we're gonna need developers and and, and uh, that's a digital trans transformation thing in our organization, but that was really the difference. Then, so we got to that point and was like, okay, most of this, in reality, is is utilizing point-to-point -point Ethernet connectivity. Um, we better start to look at, okay, what does Ethernet as a technology allow us to do? And that was a hard thing. This is, this is what uh, organizations like MEF did really well as they brought people together to start to relate to the service and the programmable capability that you were getting out of the boxes. Um, and so then, you know, supporting different types of VLAN connectivity and multi-connectivity multi options. Um, and then, but what really drove the success, in my opinion, of SDN from a networking perspective was when the cloud started providing APIs mm -hmm. because there was a 
because that attracted the real interest of the enterprise folks. Right, so right. I need to connect they, to my hyperscaler. It wasn't called the hyperscaler then, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that was, okay, there's light bulb moments. You could see it like at some of those early, you know, you guys used to run a really awesome event, WAN Summit, right? You could really start to see that stuff kind of go, yeah, okay, I, I get it because I'm, I'm now talking to somebody who's trying to understand the cloud, the fact that they've got these programmable, easy to program or point and click functions. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, I could, I could do that with network as well. Yeah. That, before that, the interest in providing a point-to-point -point, uh, connection across a single network programmably, uh, yeah, okay, that's cool. Good for us because mm -hmm. it, it saves, I mean, our internal ROI absolutely covered investment, right? Right. But getting that enterprise interest wasn't that interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when it's, when it's a kind of one-off, you know, point-to-point -point sort of thing rather than this this holistic vision that you have. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, so Mark, so, uh, uh, you know, be before we move on to other stuff, I want to I wanna circle back to something you alluded to and make sure that we catch it, but... I think you said you have like six characteristics of, of, of NAS. Um, uh, is that right? What, what mm -hmm. are those? Yeah. So, so the first one is, uh, and this is just based on, I was just sitting down uh, in Amazon, right? So mm -hmm. not specific, but the first one is, or first step, and they're all, I call them ABLES, is visible. So your inventory has to be visible to the user, which... Mm. Mm -hmm. It's like it's easy, but for a network, um, sometimes that's not so easy. Um, but presenting your the functions that you want, whether it's layer two networking, some kind of layer three function, whether it's um, a security virtual device, all of that inventory has got to be visible. So that's the first step. And you've got so to have I'm that all known internally after all acquisitions or whatever that have happened. And, and yeah, I think that's, that's probably the biggest challenge, exactly. not, not figuring out how to present it to the customer, but just understanding it well yourselves. Right. So. Oh, exactly. And the whole internal management of that, you know, somebody takes a physical device off a shelf and puts it somewhere else is like, is that being managed and presented mm -hmm. out as, as, as Amazon would do, you know, it comes off the shelf to be delivered. It's automatically off the inventory. Right. So it sounds like, easy but um you know we we had some challenges particularly at the start um it also uh for all the telcos out there as well if you're just looking at exploring or entering the uh, let's call it sdn world at the start is is the most important thing you have to do first is inventory and availability and and getting your alignment of databases and stuff like that it, it really interesting but difficult stuff but that then that second point is it's visible. So it's exactly the same as me wanting to go and buy a shirt on Amazon. Okay, it has shirts, but what's my shirt size? What color do I want? It's exactly the same with networking. Uh, do I want it from A to B? What speeds and for how long? All that kind of stuff. So that configurability. Mm. I like mm -hmm. the configuration. I've done it. Second step is priceable. So I now get presented a price. Now, to get to that point, if you're out there trying to develop something on your initial journey for NAS, getting to that ability to present a price is a really good 
sort of step. Um, and then the next, the fourth point is orderability as well. So mm-hmm. presenting a price, don't lose the op- opportunity, make it orderable. Again, it's almost like you can draw a line after this fourth, fourth step and say, whew, we got here. Right. This is this We made a cool. sale. Let's see. Yeah. Because yeah. there are, I mean, you think of the telco world and the percentage of companies that haven't got to that point overall, you know, think globally, um, you know, it's the majority percentage. So if you can get to that point, you're on your way. Um, and, and in reality, I guess, that ex- visual exposure to your customer base already has is, is, is created much, a, a much more differentiated user experience than somebody who is still taking orders, you know, via email or, or however. Yeah, yeah. So that's cool. So then step, step five is really your SDN, your, your NAS functionality that can control or orchestrate services. I, we call it, or I call it deployable or deployability. Mm-hmm. So the ability to take that configuration and push it down into the network or push it up into the cloud to, to do something. So that deployability, that's the hard bit. That's the SDN mm-hmm. bit. Right. Um, and then that the sixth bit is manageability. So my service is live. It's visual. I can see it's healthy. I can see it's performance, jitter, latency, whatever it is. Um, and... And even if I can't do anything else, them go, oh, it's red. I've got to call somebody. Right. I'm now being given some form of control that telcos traditionally were terrible at. Mm-hmm. And I'm an old school telco person. Yeah. Blind is good, right? A customer can't see it's working, but can't see it's not working. So it's right. probably better than they just can't see, right? So now it's the other way. It's like if I'm not exposing how my service is performing for that customer, then you know I'm not really serving that customer. And so it's really, really important to, to bring that together. And there are a lot of companies out there that develop the SDN and the manageability part separately. Mm-hmm. This is the beauty of NAS. NAS brings that holistically together because it if I'm gonna take a network as a service, I have to be able to see it, right? Right. And so right. it's really important that that you're presenting all of this holistically, at least as a portal or as, you know, some form of a series of APIs. So those six steps, uh, visibility, configurability, priceability, deployability, um, oh, orderability, I missed out, uh, deployability and uh, manageability. Uh, if, if you just sit there and, and go, right, wh- where am I on these six steps? Right. It's a pretty good start. And it's also, it's a measurability. If I'm an analyst and I'm not trying to suggest to you anything, yeah, yeah. but if I was an analyst comparing NASs and, and SDNs and stuff like that, I would be measure, I'd be looking at those as mm-hmm. six measurements because there is not everybody who says they're NAS or SDN that can do all of those six all in the same environment. No, absolutely. I was just going to say, as as an analyst, I love I love lists with clear definitions like that. I, I I can guarantee that that that'll make it into the blog post about this episode because it makes it you know very clear. And you're, and you're right that um you know with with all of these kinds of technologies that emerge in this space, there's um some people call it you know whatever NAS washing or whatever you know, but but. It, 
I, I think that's that, that you know that, that that might not mean exactly what I mean, which is just that it takes time to congeal onto okay, well, what does this actually mean between me and the customer, right? Not not that yeah. someone's trying to squish you know something into it in a in a sort of deceptive way, but that there needs to emerge kind of out of you know uh, folks like you working with meth, for example, or whatever, to some yeah. extent, but really also just in the market, like what actually works, right? You know, what, what do mm -hmm. customers end up needing? What do they end up buying and marrying sort of what we can do at, at the, the, the technology level at the carrier to actually make that happen. Right. You know, so. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And, you know, it was interesting, um, as of a couple of years ago now, I was, I was at a, a WAN summit, I think it was, and, saw some presentations from some enterprises that had deployed SD-WAN. Mm -hmm. And so they were some early big company deployments and yeah. they got, got so, like we did as well. So I'm putting my hand up to say I got sold this, yeah. um, but they got sold that it's cheaper. You don't need you know, traditional networking. You can use internet-orientated services like DIA or whatever. SD-WAN is going to make everything joyously wonderful, et cetera. Um, and 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 so they deployed um, what was suggested at the time by those vendors, uh, and soon found out that you know losing control of your transport layer um, didn't exactly uh, do them a lot of favors, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, to your point, it was like those sort of companies just kind of grew into understanding that these things started to mold together, but. They were coming at us and companies like us with their own viewpoint of what it is that they actually needed from a what well, emerged for some of those companies as network of the service, and it was really interesting to see that they were actually came in from a completely different direction. Um, for them, it was about okay, I've got I've got this SD WAN thing, I've got really good visibility that it's not performing or it's not right. uh, improving my application experience. Then all that and, does is tell me that it's not performing, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 So now I, I'm going to need a network that I can control underneath so that I can start to tweak that to work better to enable the uh, the layer above. And so it, it was a different angle. Um, and it was like, okay, well, how, how would we present that? You know, and so the next logical thing is, and we – I'll be frank, we haven't built this as yet, um, but it's it's one of the things work on is that integration. So we we came as carriers and telcos from the, it's almost like a bottom-up integration and presentation, right? So we've got physical network here. Um, let's expose that functionality, put it in a level above and orchestrate. And then you look at like, well, these folks, are they're going, no, no. The other direction, we don't care about that bottom layer, but what we do care about is our application is telling us that, or our application enabled SD-WAN is telling us that some performance is really bad. So it needs to talk to the network right. below, below right. to tell that network what to do. I was like, yeah, that's that's cool. That's the secret mm -hmm. source. And, mm -hmm. You know, people talk about AI and networking or whatever. Um but in my opinion, it's the application overlays that are the AI that they're the ones that actually know what's going on purely because they're not performing. So they're the ones that, you know, to me, the next step, 
the MEF is doing a, a they're really cotton onto this as well. Is uh, for those people who follow what the MEF is doing is uh, they started um, building sort of API concepts and stuff for SD WAN. And people are thinking, ah, oh, this is cool, like make SD-WAN into work or whatever. Nah, make SD-WAN into work with the network. With, with the network, right. Not with, the, not, not with other SD-WANs or other over-the-top services like, you know, SASE. And the, that's important, but it's yeah. really to communicate between those layers. Exactly. So you can start to think, you know, this term I use, verticalization, start to think about, oh, yeah, that really starts to make sense, right? Mm -hmm. It's like okay, uh, whatever I'm going to drop over the top of the network, it should be able to tell the network what it needs. Right. So I think that's yeah, the next yeah. NAS thing. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, and you can't, you can't really call it, you can kind of call it SDN, I guess, but to me it's more network as a service, but right. multi-layered network as a service. And so mm -hmm. you would expect that if you buy an SD-WAN in the future, um, you would be able to deploy a network that's appropriate to what the SD-WAN is telling you it needs right. in the future, right? So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've kind of jumped ahead, I guess, a little bit to yeah, that's, that's it. Yeah, network, that's, network yeah. evolution and stuff. Right. But, I mean, it just makes – I mean, you look at it and go, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and you're right, going back to, to thinking about sort of when the WAN Summit, we would see presentations from folks who were early adopters of, of this technology – it started to be that, okay, we've done SD-WAN. Now we've identified after we've moved to an internet first kind of strategy that we have a middle mile problem, right? which, which is, I think, you know, speaks exactly to, to you know, what, what you're saying that um, SD-WAN is at the edge, right? You know, sort of and mm -hmm. really couldn't do anything about the, the performance, um, uh, you know, getting to your cloud provider or your traffic's ultimate destination. And so then there were some other, over the top tools trying to help with that, but that ultimately really what you need is, is well, one, I should say, because coming at, at it as telegeography, you, you have to have wires everywhere to do all these things you're talking about, right? So, so we, need, we need lots of fiber deployments or 5G or, or maybe Leo someday, and, 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 you, and then mm -hmm. you have to be able to talk to all of those different technologies in the underlay as well, right? You know, so it's, um, and, 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 and those wires might be Ethernet, like we mentioned before, but they might be something else that, you know, um, DWM. Oh, and, and, we'll get down to the optical layer soon. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, so it's, it is a complex problem, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but, but, uh, but it's, it, 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 I, I like your vision of how clearly we can see, you know, what needs to happen to, to, to come to this world that we're, we're thinking about, you know? Yeah. And I think another angle that uh, is definitely emerging and, I'm really old, so uh, when I first started working in international telecoms way back, um, there were there were alliances, um, and they were proper alliances. Um, some of those alliances evolved into third-party entities. Back in the day, it was like uh, BT and AT and T in concert. Uh, Telstra was mixed up in that for a little while. Uh, global uh, World Partners, stuff like that. Um, m most of those alliances. Uh, don't kill me, anyone, if you work for those alliances. But most <laughs> yeah. of those alliances who created third-party entities, they ended up failing because the third-party entity took a life of its own, started to set its own objectives. Yeah, um, right. And, and that, 
that in the end always causes problems. And I, I went through that as well with Telstra and mm -hmm. uh, PCCW and an entity called Reach. Um, but but the alliances that kind of work together, um, and I'm so old that I, I my first product management job was for something called Telecard. Mm -hmm. um, that was one of the greatest alliances ever of all of these companies all around the world enabling you to use your telecard around the world. And right, the mobile right. world is the same. They just work, right? Um, it's, in my opinion, it's starting to happen now in the data networking side. Mm. There mm -hmm. are alliances being formed. We are forming alliances and have formed alliances and inter, beginning to interwork our SDN orchestration capabilities. Uh, a couple of other companies uh, very near and, and, and familiar to me as well. The MEF is doing its bit. So what you'll see over the next five years or so is these alliances actually offering more of that horizontability, if that's the mm -hmm. word, mm -hmm. horizontal integration to present more network under a common, let's call it uh, API or right. portal for the end customer. That also sets up when you think of, you know, one of the big issues that SD-WAN really created was brilliant service and that I've got to refresh all my different sites all around the world. And if I'm going to move to DIA, a lot of different service providers, um, it really brought back that, you know, thing, you know, in, international, multinational is difficult. And so I, I really see a, a trend in the NAS world for NAS interoperability, at least at the orchestration level mm -hmm. uh, and, the, and the physical network level. So uh, that to me is uh, is kind of like something that you, obviously you have to be working in the carrier world to see it, but is definitely a is definitely happening. Right. So yeah, I'd be keeping an eye on that as well. Mm -hmm. And if you're seeing like uh, telcos and carriers saying they have gazillions of pops programmable all around the world. I can absolutely guarantee you that not they all have, theirs. Right. <laughs> yeah, they have already set up alliances. And so these aren't partnerships like we would traditionally call them. Yeah, uh, not with like a, a formal NNI or something like that. It's, it's, it's more dynamic than that, basically. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, um, okay, we're getting a lot of uh, interworking queries over this physical location. We better plop an NNI in place. So mm -hmm. setting a lot of preconditions up on this alliance as opposed to traditionally our partnerships of, yeah, here's our discounted price sheet, here's yours, let's mm -hmm. set an NNI up here and, you know, we'll train each other sales folks and off we go. This has to be much more dynamic, as you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's the key, right, is that – Ultimately, uh, it's from from an economics kind of standpoint. You're just you're um, removing friction. You're removing transaction costs, but also um, you know. So, so part of that is you're, you're removing these these. You know, we have to meet. We have to exchange these Excel sheets. We have to you know set up an ordering system with each other. But yeah. also that that there's that technology bit that means that I also need to be able to have visibility into your network because I have the end customer who can see that there's a fault and I don't, you know, want to have my yeah. engineers open a trouble ticket with you, with your knock, right. Or whatever. Right. So, yeah. um, there's, there's, there's a lot of layers to cut through, uh, beyond just the, the, the ordering. Right. So. Yeah, absolutely. There's also some disconnecting kind of opportunities that, 
programmability and NAS have kind of created, the concept of NAS have kind of created and this concept of simplifying how we as, as telcos work together. So there are now kind of third-party entity trading. They're not really trading. They're kind of marketplace mm-hmm. entities. You might be familiar with some of them, yep. you know, like LMX and Inflect in the US and um, I don't know, cloud-based down in APAC and stuff like that. So these are still, to me, um, these are a product of what we as, you know, you as telco folks have been working on over over the years, many years really, to make things simpler. Um, but there's still, a, I think, a really big secret to the enterprise market because I know those organizations would absolutely love enterprises to utilize them as pricing tools and stuff like that. So uh, I think there's going to be some challenge as to where they go directionally and how we as uh, telco guys utilize them. Right. Um, I think we have to view them as a marketplace right. and, and we have to basically uh, for our own NAS success present, you know, things like the cap- the inventory and the config, all those four steps, we have to start to enable from our own NAS environment into these third-party environments, mm-hmm. kind of like stretch the function in right. a way so that, you know, if they do have eyeballs using them, we need also almost to extend that capability. And then, you know, the other challenge we have as well is the the concept of the cloud and how it's how people are relating its value um, as, as their focus area uh, and yet not really considering network is that important, yet it's one mm. of the three pillars of, of, of cloud success, networking mm-hmm. and as well as the physical location and, and basically the process capability in the software. So it's like, what does that mean? Does that mean our NAS needs to be presentable within that cloud environment, even as part of the cloud marketplace stack? And mm. yeah, I think that's inevitable in some mm-hmm. way, shape, or form. Um, or does the the cloud guys just flip it around and they build, they bring all our NAS API functions <laughs> together, and they just go? I was going to say that there, there is a there is a version that. of the future where we're um, we're all just interacting with AWS, basically. <laughs> so, Correct. Uh, yeah, and we we've sat in this room and contemplated yeah. how that would look and mm-hmm. how we would fit into that as well in yeah. the future. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so Mark, before we wrap up, I just I just want to touch you know a little bit on on kind of Epsilon itself. You've been weaving that uh, through, through mm-hmm. throughout here, but um, you know fr- from an analyst perspective, many years ago, Epsilon was was uh, the, the kind of uh, company that that we had trouble fitting neatly into a box, not quite like a facilities based carrier or whatever. Uh, but then you mm-hmm. had this acquisition by Korea Telecom. How did that sort of morph what Epsilon had been into then having the power of a, a sort of, you know, facilities-based network and, and, and that sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, uh, when I when I joined 10 years ago, we, we were a telecommunications solution provider. So we we don't lay our own cable or anything like that. Right. We resell. We, we lease and resell. We knit together the function. We obviously buy the equipment. Um, and build our own network, but essentially, and we, and we sell, we will light fiber and we'll sell waves and stuff. But our big focus over the last 10 years has been providing Ethernet. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you were to categorize us now, we're an international middle mile enabler mm-hmm. that also, also extends to the last mile. So we try and knit 
we, we really try and knit the solution together because when we started, uh, our entire customer base was international carriers. So mm-hmm. now we have like 600 international and, and national carriers. So we were like looking at, well, what's our value really compared to a lot of other folks? We're not a national incumbent. And right. I've worked for a couple of those. Um, but our, our value was really a telecoms facilities mm-hmm. um, and, and, and service provider um, for that ecosystem. So we filled the gap originally for some telco that, and, you know, when we started 20 years ago, it was companies like BT and Belgicom, Bix, who really funded Epsilon through business. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. because they just said, look, we're not in this place. Can you do that for us? Right. And so we kind of filled gaps and built our network around that. But right now we're, we're a, a, a middle mile extending to the last mile company, essentially positioning ourselves as we're, we're an interconnect company now. So mm-hmm. we're interconnect, we have an interconnect fabric that interconnects lots of different entities and presents that out. Mm-hmm. As a, as a simple, accessible network uh, solution to customers. We're really, really focused on the interconnect of, of things. So, you know, <laughs> this world now, when, yeah. when, you, when you, and not the traditional thing, right, of you know, IoT or whatever, but of, let me start this point. In my opinion, and even our own net, internal network designers now, I created this thing called, and actually Cisco termed this, I think, in the year 2001, application-orientated networking. Mm-hmm. They had a different application for it. It was, it was actually for something else. But if you sit down and you go, oh, man, I've got to redesign my network right now, you're starting at your applications, not at physical locations. You're going, right, where's my CRM? Where's my... Right. Uh, ERP, where's my UCAS stack? So you, you're going, right, and, and which of these interact with each other? Which of these are mission critical to interact with each, with, with each other? Now you, you're kind of redesigning your network mm-hmm. based on the application. And so so for us, we had to look at, okay, what, what does that mean for us and our customers so we start to present that we're providing interconnection to those application environments. So those, so then where are they physically located? So you could take data centers, right? Mm-hmm. Business buildings. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say to interject for a second to put a pin on that for everybody oh. to, to follow along. That, that obviously during this time is the big transformation. All of these service applications being cloud based, and so you know they're. Correct. Have moved off prem, and now there gets this this middle mile, you know, problem or whatever, right? So, absolutely. And the thing is, um, during this transition period or transformation period, really, it's like, how do I get from here to there as well? And so, for us, you know, early things were like migration challenge. Mm. Do you have a network solution that could help migrate from? my premise to the cloud, right? Yeah, you know, you can send some storage boxes and, you know, AWS happily come, you know, send you something to back your on-prem stuff and put it into AWS. But it was like, 
uh, okay, we can't stay at just being middle mile because a lot of this was early local connectivity requirements into the core of the middle mile. And so that's why Epsilon is very specifically, we say we are middle mile that provides the last mile solution as an underlay to provide global interconnect and what are you trying to interconnect and access. But those transition uh, opportunities really, right. really changed. I mean, it was difficult for me coming in as an evangelist for SDN or whatever and saying, but there's no programmability at the last mile. It's like, Ugh, what can we do about that? Well, that's okay. We can, we can fudge it for now, but guess what? There are local incumbents now who are presenting um, in various places around the world, programmable connections right, right. to business prem. So you can see, oh, man, that is so awesome, right? And, uh, it, you know, theoretically, you'll be able to, from your desktop sat here in my building right now, as an example, create programmable network connection for a day or a, or a week or whatever from, from the desktop all the way through to AWS, link that into Oracle, build the network connection between Oracle and AWS and have everything in a private network. So, you know, that was really, okay, we, we can't position ourselves as anything but an interconnection company. So that's that's the, the viewpoint that we come from. Um, and we also had to consider, interestingly enough, is a lot of people don't talk about the internet exchanges. So... You know, the internet exchanges now, um, Azure peering points are at internet exchanges that enterprises can access now. Hmm. So that's driving uh, interest from not just banks, but we just deployed a, uh, a government solution to connect directly via uh, the London Internet right. Exchange directly into the Azure application stack. That's really cool now. That's com completely off the public hmm. Internet, uh, completely off the old dedicated Azure model, which is kind of a bit complex, um, yeah. straight into an IX, um, which is regulated by the government. Um, and uh, and I'm, I'm essentially, yeah. I'm an enterprise peering. So, so it's, it's really cool. Um, but so that's why we were really cool. Right. So we developed the IX API with the internet exchange industry um, mm -hmm. to make that programmable. So we were the first carrier to have that because we helped develop it. But um, you could see, okay, because we had a look, okay, where's the maps accessibility stack? It's in right. the IX. Okay, we need to incorporate that type of stuff. So, but yeah, but for us, application, devices, human beings all need to be interconnected. So that's kind of our positioning. You know, we interconnect uh, your world. Yeah, excellent. I, I like that. I think that's a, a, a good tagline to, uh, to to wrap things up on. So thanks, Mark. This has been really interesting. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to learn a lot when I go back through the second time and listen to this for, for my intro. So are, are you um, perchance going to be at the uh, the MEF uh, GNE event in, in October? I am indeed. So yeah, uh, if you're going to be there, that's going to be awesome, dude. Definitely hang it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, it's it's going to be, I think, an inflection point where a lot of these things are actually coming together. So it's going to be fun to see what everybody's been doing. So yeah. absolutely, and we can test some of my uh, thought processes. But yeah, I'm I'm at that event. I'm really looking forward to asking a lot of questions about integrating the MEF 
SD-WAN type APIs that they've been mm -hmm. working on with the MEF layer two ethernet LSO right. um, yeah. uh, orchestration stuff. Because mm -hmm. uh, I think there's some real secret source magic there. That's Yeah, I agree. That, that is going to be the, the, the thing to watch. Excellent. Yeah. All right. So um, Mark, how, how can folks keep up with, with you otherwise, uh, if they're not going to be at the GE event or, or Epsilon in general? Yeah, cool. Well, uh, my email address, if anyone wants to email me, is m.daily, D-A-L-E-Y, at epsilontel.com. Um, my Twitter handle is, or X, my X, X handle, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, is uh, at Mark O. Daily, so M-A-R-K-O-D-A-L-E-Y-1, the digit one. Uh, and I'm on LinkedIn, just, just search uh, Mark Daly, Epsilon Tell, and it, that'll come up. Yeah, cool. We can we can put those in the show notes too for anybody um, without a pen and handy here. Yeah, cool. yeah, excellent. Well, Mark, yeah, this was great fun, uh, super interesting. So I, I look forward to catching up with you soon at uh, that event. Awesome, dude. I, I'm really looking forward to hanging out with you in Dallas. Yeah, cool. Cheers. Thanks. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening. Telegeography Explains the Internet comes from the experts here at Telegeography. It's edited and produced by Jane Miller, and it's hosted by me, Greg Bryan. And I also wrote that theme song you're listening to right now. To learn more about our data, jump over to telegeography.com, and we'll see you on the Internet.